here we go. From the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, welcome to Post-Christian Pastors, the podcast hosted by three pastors that dives into faith, relationships, pop culture, ministry, current issues, and a whole lot more. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Post-Christian Pastors. I am Mark Helsel and the boys. A librarian? Why are you talking back. so slow? <laughs> I just thought I'd do something different today. Like a child uh, book reader? The book. It's story time. Children, gather around. Everybody listening, gather around. Gather around. I'm here to enlighten you and give you information. Well, this is post Christian pastors, this is Mark Helsel, and I'm along with my buddies, my pals, my amigos to my, let's see, start with to my right. John Price. John Price. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Beautiful Everybody's day here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We are back from taking care of the president with, yes. the, with the COVID. He followed all our advice <laughs> for the debate <laughs> to a T, just like we wanted and to my left is Mike Arnold. Mike Arnold. Mike Arnold was the debate prepper for Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm always proud of how. Uh, He's always proud how his student has done. And uh, <laughs> he's so coachable. He's so coachable. <laughs> oh, so we are having a great time. This is this is episode number twenty three. I think it is episode number twenty three. The second week of our series called Lost in America. And uh, man, it's good to be with you guys. And we, keep, we keep getting more and more lost. Floating on a raft, lost in America. We're like <laughs> Gilligan's Island. Exactly. Like man. We're lost for good. It is crazy. It man. is crazy. Can you imagine what, just since we recorded the last podcast, what has happened? I mean, we yeah. have a debate. Oh, well, well, I mean, it was kind of a. We'll talk about that. You in call a that a debate? Like a Saturday Live skit. You could put them next to each other and not know which one was the real thing. So we had a debate. We had a president with the with the COVID. With the COVID. <laughs> I mean, you got the virus, dude. And like it's, the whole White House, basically, as well. The whole <laughs> White House. Greg Lowry has it. <laughs> the pastor yeah. from uh, Harvest. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, spreading. It's it's been crazy. Yeah. So, so here we are. So, <laughs> where do you want to go from there? That's a lot. And we, by the way, we got a great guest. We'll talk about him in a minute. We got a great guest coming on after this first segment. But where do you want to go? Uh, oh, by the way, if you're listening to this, we should address the people that are listening to this. This is, like I said, post-Christian pastors. You might wonder what that is. That's uh, just three pastors we get together uh, who are trying to follow Jesus in the midst of a post-Christian America and trying to figure that out, post-Christian world in many ways. Uh, and so we're trying to help ourselves do that, help you do that. And uh, that's why we're here. Yep. And uh, that's why we're do- we do this. And we're really excited about today and and this this episode so thanks for joining us share us with others so where do you want to go guys where do you where do you want to go i mean there john is, what, what would you suggest <laughs> shepherd us. which landmine would you like to jump yeah, on? which grenade jump on the grenade for us john jump on him I, I mean i don't know i mean it has been you know uh, just a i mean you know i mean it's it's funny it's like not, it's not or not funny but it's ironic it's not just like you know, politics. Thing. I mean, I mean, you know, the whole NFL season has been like, you know, upside, you know, down. upside down because of yeah, COVID and Steelers. Steelers had, had the Browns are up th- three to. I know three the games, Browns are winning one. games. You know twenty twenty when that is happening. <laughs> I like this. I know. I mean, Mike's the only just, one celebrating twenty twenty. <laughs> it's 
we win the Super Bowl this year, guys, it'll be the best year ever. That's proof if they win the Super Bowl this year because we are living in the upside down. That's right. From yes. Stranger Things. Yeah, we are living right. in the upside down. That's Everything is an alternate universe. Yep. We have slid into the alternate universe. Well, let's talk about the debate because I think we need to. You're not going to let John pick? No, 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 Mike, go for it. I'm sorry. In true Trump fashion, I jumped right in front of him (laughs) and (laughs) took it over. So No, I I think that's probably a better one to go start with. Very apropos. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about it. What were you guys' reactions? generous, by the way, calling it a debate is rather generous. It was a train wreck. I mean... It was like two kids fighting over toys in your living room. I've seen that played out <laughs> with my kids. Um, man, it was crazy. What were your like? What was your reaction, John, when you first saw the debate last night? Well, I didn't actually watch the debate, um, but I did see clips of it, and I just thought, "Wow, I'm glad I didn't waste that time of my life by sitting there and trying to watch this." But I also was just—I don't know—I was. I guess in some ways sad for our country. (laughs) Like this is what, you know, um, political discourse has devolved to in the United States. Um, And it was just kind of, I think maybe like the mark of like the lowest day in American political life, at least for in my lifetime. I don't know. You know, well, we got deeper lows to go to. <laughs> I think the journey. We'll look at this. At, well, I have a feeling we're going to look at this as the mountaintop at some point. <laughs> like, remember when? Remember when it was so good when Biden and Trump? I like it. Debated is like, the first time. These are just like circles around the toilet as it's flush. This is just like lap two. <laughs> we're not down. It's going to be. But but you know what we do? I know I know it was a train wreck, but we also have to remember that you know there we've. Politics has been pretty nasty for, uh, you know, for the whole history of the country in a lot of ways. I mean, like, I mean, look, Hamilton, right? Aaron Burr right. shot and killed the vice president, shot and killed in a duel, killed the uh, former secretary or was he the secretary of the Treasury at that point? Yeah. But uh, so, I mean, politi- politics has kind of been a nasty thing. The thing for that, a long time. that made me when I watched it, I was like, first of all, my first emotion was embarrassed. Like, I was just embarrassed for our country that this is these are two of the top candidates to lead our country and this is how they're behaving so my first emotion was like Mm. oh man um and then i was just sad um i was really sad because i i tuned in and i really was looking forward to hearing uh, some dialogue around issues and two different plans on how to lead our country forward right and to see clarity on on wow this is one candidate this is his ideas on how to lead the country forward. here's another one we didn't get anything like that were there any plans (laughs) it was name calling it was like to be honest with you if my children were behaving like that they would be disciplined (laughs) for that man yeah clown it got it got nasty so i was just embarrassed that like and i did i like watched it and, and I was like sad. I turned it off, and then I'm like, oh, "You're an American. You should be watching this, Mike." So I turn it back on again. I gave another ten minutes. I'm like, "No, <laughs> I, I can't do this." I turned it off again and just watched a movie. I was like, "I because I was, I was just sad that that's where, um, that's where our leaders are." And it was the the lack of self control. To yeah. be honest with you, it was really really sad. You had Trump um, interrupting, and you had Biden. Throwing, Both throwing names. Yeah. It was the Scranton 
coming out. Yeah, it was there Michael was, Scott. It was just it was sad. Michael Scott and Toby <laughs> going. Just it was Toby sad. took it for most of it, and Michael just dishing it out. It was it was uh, he was he was kind of Michael Scottish. Trump yeah, was. it was it was Wasn't it he? was Wasn't it was he? sad. I he was would just... be like best with the mug, best president ever, <laughs> best boss ever, best president ever. I had just hope for better behavior than that, and I'd and hope Toby to hear. Like, you issues. can't say that, man. That's like, you know Toby in the office, like Michael. On, we Michael, can't do that. You can't it's, say that. Just can't, can't do that. You can't do that. <laughs> Shut up, Toby. <laughs> Shut up, Toby. <laughs> no one likes you anyway. <laughs> Go back to your basement. Yeah. Oh, we're yeah, laughing because if yeah. we weren't, we'd be crying. That I'm was drinking. That was a debacle. <laughs> but it was one of those ones I picked up my Facebook page. I'm like, no, don't post anything. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need to say anything. Just no, stay I'm glad away. You from did this. not post. Anything. It was just sad. It was fun to watch people post. I was. Watching, oh yeah, I, I was, was watching, watching that too. people post. So that was one cultural thing that's happened since last time that we were together. What else happened? Well, we have a president who got the COVID. Yeah. <laughs> Trump Trump got the virus. Yeah. So that that was an interesting moment uh, to start the weekend. I saw one headline that said, I feel bad for the coronavirus. Oh, <laughs> I was like, ouch, that's tough. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun watching people trying to be civil. Yeah. <laughs> like fake civility. We talked about, before we went on the air, we talked a little bit about emotions we were feeling. Yeah. Um, it is hard to not feel i guess for me to not feel overwhelmed like you look at you look at such a huge mess and you just if you could do one of two things you could feel overwhelmed and just walk away and just check out turn the channel uh just give up or you make that hard decision to somehow dive into it and try not to lose yourself lose your witness yep. and hopefully make a difference. I, I, I'm, and I think, I think a lot of people are, maybe a lot of Christians are just kind of checking out of it. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's hard to find like a, a, it's hard to find balance. It's hard to, to find a middle ground. It, I feel like anytime I'm, I'm trying to find balance, there's such a pull one way or another and the emotions are so extreme. Mm-hmm. Everything just feels like it's emotionally driven more than, really rationally thinking about issues or, or plans for the future, not just politics, but just life right now. You know, a couple of us opened up our buildings to indoor worship over the last week. We're pastors. That was an emotional step for the, for the congregations that mm-hmm. we let, we, we lead as well. And people just coming in, it was, it's, it's really interesting when you're a pastor and you're, you're shepherding a group of people through a journey. Um, every step, was you know we did outdoor services people didn't like that then they loved them now we went inside no one loved that and then the people that did go inside loved it don't want to go back outside and you're like ah. you know you're just trying your best to to move forward it's and pittsburgh then it, guys it's gonna snow in right. a couple of weeks we gotta go inside it isn't, and isn't that true like of a lot of pastors or people right now they they kind of look at that mess and go you either feel overwhelmed by it or yeah. and quit and walk away. And I've heard some statistics recently that there's more pastors quitting and leaving the ministry. Like this has accelerated that. Mm-hmm. Or you once again dive into it, make the best of it, believe that God has something for you and that He's doing. He's and this is something. the time that you're right. that He has given us to live. And 
hopefully we'll look back on it and say, hey, we did this well. Mm. Another thing that's a major cultural <clears throat> shift that's happening, in, at least in the Pittsburgh area, is Mark is getting married on this Whoa, weekend. So that's right. That's a pretty exciting yes. thing. So cultural excited. shift. <laughs> Massive shift. For me, that's a it's, cultural Trust me. <laughs> yes, it will be. Welcome to Congrats, marriage. man. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. We're, We're excited for you. We We're get to be to have you guys there. And John and I get to read scripture and yep. give small sermonettes. That's right. Small. We'll be small. Yes. That's just key yes. word. Yes. Small, <laughs> very small. Well, you, I mean, we are pastors, so you know, <laughs> once you yes. give us the mic. I did say that. I did tell <laughs> I did tell Megan that. I was like, hey, uh, they are pastors, so don't. <laughs> She's like, how long is this service going to be? And I'm like, well, they're pastors, so you know, time flies. When yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. When you have two two eloquent speakers like Mike, us, Mike, yeah. just, Mike and John will just get up and go. Okay, you're about to hear from the best pastor ever. <laughs> the pastor that you all love. Best we- <laughs> the pastor that's that how I'm going to start it. <laughs> the best wedding ever. <laughs> it's going to be good. Okay, so let's, let, love let's, let's go away from that. Um, <laughs> let's go away from that. To wrap up, before we go to our <clears throat> guest, last, last week in part one of Lost in America, yeah. we talked about race. Ryan Blackwell was here to... Mm-hmm. And, and we really scratched the surface, and we want people to know that when you, if you're listening to this. We're, we're not by any means thinking that we covered everything. We no, figured we out just, the race issue in yeah, America? Yeah. No. We just went through just a, a few things. Um, and so today we have a great guest coming on, um, Ephraim Smith. We'll introduce him after mm-hmm. the break. But, yeah. but uh, he's going to also take us down that road to talk about some issues. Um, but let me just ask you before we go to that uh, – any uh, things that you've interacted with, even since the podcast we recorded that? Any things that you've interacted with? Any more thoughts or feelings that you've had in the midst of you know this issue right now? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot. I mean, I thought that was actually going back and listening to it um, in its entirety was really helpful and really, you know, challenged challenged me in some ways and reminded me of some of that conversation that we had that I think was really helpful. One thing that I just kind of ran across, I didn't even know my wife actually <clears throat> recorded it for us, um, was uh, uh, a new series on PBS called Tell Me More. Okay. Uh, it's with Kelly Corrigan. She's an author. Um, she, does a re- she does a really nice job of interviewing people. I'd never heard of her before, but... Um, uh, Megan had been kind of following her and, um, she saw that she was going to have, uh, Brian Stevenson, uh, author of just mercy and of the, uh, head of the, uh, justice initiative, um, on her show. And it was, I, for those of you listening, I, I would really highly encourage you to, uh, take time. It was, it's about an hour episode, take time to, uh, either find it online or, uh, watch it, uh, on TV. Um, but it was, and Brian Stevenson just, I want to be his friend. (laughs) The guy is just, I mean, an amazing, amazing person. I mean, just, and just the way that he sees things and um, can, and can talk about um, even some of the most difficult things. It just, one, it gives you hope. Um, And two, it really makes you kind of think um, and um, assess what, He's talking about, and one of the things that I think that he talked about that connects to what we talked about last time that um, that Ryan brought up was that whole idea of proximity. 
like he was he he really said that you know he doesn't see himself as a necessarily as a as a lawyer he sees himself as a human being who is seeking proximity with other human beings and and that's how he ad- how he approaches his mm. whole you know the whole thing in terms of like uh, issues with the justice system and connecting with with prisoners and things like that so it was just a really and he talks about his story growing up and kind of what led him to this and I mean it's just it's a really I, I, I mean I, I was sitting on the couch I was laughing I was crying I was you know um, being challenged I, it was a really good uh, yeah I mean show. he's one of those voices that we need to be listening to like, oh He's out of the political arena, right. but he's he's a voice that you need to listen to. Like you need to hear what he has to say and find anything you can by him online, YouTube, mm-hmm. read the books, watch the movie. You know, like he's just he he uh, was influential in getting uh, one of the books that I read about a guy named Ray Hinton yeah. uh, out of prison, which it's that's one of the book. best books I've ever read. Um, yeah, so really encourage you to to look into that, Mike. What about you, Eddie? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things. I mean, the first thing that really has hit me is just, you know, we're living in a time right now. I just got a spam call, you know, like we're living in a spam culture, <laughs> you know, where there's just so much. When we were laughing about, you know, even the debate being a little bit spammy, right? <laughs> um, spammy. <laughs> but there's important things that are being said right now. And if you decline every call as a spam call, mm. you miss important messages. Mm. And I think right now in this culture, don't miss the important messages. This is one of them, this conversation on race. Mm-hmm. Um, man, as a as a white man, I, I need to hear. I need to listen mm. uh, right now. I need to seek to understand. Um, and I'm really excited about learning more today uh, from Ephraim and just from our time together. And so there's good stuff that's happening. Don't miss those messages. And then just like what, one of the things that Ryan said that stuck with me from our last podcast was just the opportunity lid that most African-Americans or that many African-Americans um, experience that's different than us. We've all had hands up and people that have helped us get to where we're at today. And um, for many in our country, there's less opportunity that way in um, they don't. Um, it's just not there. And so, and how that creates a baseline of frustration for a people group in our country. And so, and that was, I've been thinking a lot about that and just um, trying to empathize with that, but then also think through possible solutions for that as well. I think for me, uh, I think for me, I tend to lean towards the, you know, I tend to lead, lean towards a pretty conservative mm-hmm. view. Uh, I always kind of have of issues and things like that. This one has been, uh, I have really tried to be a listener, mm-hmm. um, try not to come in it with my bias. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to lean, I tend to lean towards personal responsibility and things like this that when we talk about race issues and, and so it's been good for me, I think to hear Ryan, who I think Ryan was a very balanced view. Yeah. I thought that was re- one of the most interesting things about Ryan, <clears throat> oh, well, not about him, but what, what he said was that fact that he did not shy away from personal responsibility. Yeah, right. And yet he said, even in that sense of personal responsibility, to Mike's point, you can be as personally responsible as as you can and, right. and still not have the opportunities because you don't have those relational connections. 
um, because right. of proximity and things like that. And, and that's so, what I loved about him is he was he was nuanced, and that's what right. I loved about that conversation is yep. because it had nuance. And and if you were if you came into that conversation as a just a, a partisan person, I guess that might be the right word, then you 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 shut down at some point in that interview yeah. because you were like, no, that doesn't fit my picture or and then you could flip over and go well that does or that doesn't and and so he was he i thought he gave us a balanced good, a good balance yeah. thing so that was good well hey uh coming up we're gonna take a break coming up uh after the break is what i would say is one of america's leading christian voices uh into this topic of race and racial justice his name's ephraim smith and he'll be back with us after the break so don't go anywhere here on Post-Christian Pastors. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back here on Post-Christian Pastors. Thanks for sticking with us. And today... We have an amazing guest. I'm so excited about this. Uh, his name is Ephraim Smith. Yes. And I've actually known Ephraim since, I think, Ephraim, it's been like 2003. I think I met you when we both worked for You Specialties and um, got to know each other uh, working for them. And I'm really excited to talk to you today. Uh, Ephraim is uh, the co-pastor at Bayside Church Midtown in Sacramento, California. He's the former president and CEO of World Impact Organization. He's an author of multiple books. Uh, but most importantly, he's a huge Marvel Comics fan. And that's really <laughs> what is most important. Uh, and uh, Ephraim, Ephraim is... Uh, dude, Ephraim, I, I haven't seen you in a few years. But man, one day I opened up my mail and there was my outreach magazine and your face was on the whole front of the whole magazine. What was up with that, man? Yeah, well, you know, be because of the size of my head, unfortunately, <laughs> they had to make the cover a little bit bigger that month, and then it went back to the regular size magazine the, the next issue. It was but, an oversized, no. oversized. <laughs> yeah, man, you know, I, I man, well, I just, I don't welcome. know why my, oh, okay, yes, I'm so glad to be with you. We won't talk about the size of my ears Oh, we can, uh, we can go there if you episode. want. We can go there if you want. No, it's too traumatic. It's too traumatic. <laughs> I'd rather talk about Jesus and the Marvel Universe. Yes. Yes. I don't know what else you that's had the, planned. We didn't actually, that's the title of the podcast, Jesus <laughs> and the Marvel <laughs> Universe. No, but welcome, man, Ephraim. You're, you're, I see you everywhere now, man. Christianity Today, Outreach Magazine, hanging with John Perkins, speaking at Exponential. I mean, it's great. Dude, I, I the last one of the last times I was with you, one of my best moments. I've talked to Fred Lynch, your buddy and mine, about this is when we were in Reno, Nevada, and you were presenting some material for you specialties, and you said that amazing line, "Games is fun." Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Games is fun. That was a, that was a, an amazing moment. It's true. Yeah, I almost ruined my whole ministry yeah. career. Right there. <laughs> It, it, it almost was over that, right there. That is true. Well, Ephraim, we are in um, we're in week two of a series that we're calling Lost in America, and um, this is the second week of this series that we're we're talking about race and some racial justice issues. 
and you are speaking, you know, you're an international speaker, national speaker, really speaking on this episode. So we're really excited to have you and have your perspective uh, today on this. I think you bring a unique perspective too. Um, you know, when I, when I was reading the Christianity Today article, I found out that, you know, you, you grew up in the neighborhood where George Floyd died, where he was, he was killed. Uh, you, you, uh, you grew up in that neighborhood, the store that you saw prominently on the news, you used to go there as a kid. And then you actually planted a church right in that, that area. Um, well, I was, so yes, yeah, so I grew up in that community. Um, you know, so definitely when I saw the video of George Floyd crying out for his life, it was painful mm. on a number of levels because I'm looking at the, the block where I learned to ride my bike and skateboard and wow. man, that, that store he came out of, I bought more Twinkies and hostess <laughs> apple pies out of there than I, <laughs> I comic books. And I can remember. Um, so it was massively so it, personal. Yes, no doubt. And I was a youth pastor in that community for a number of years mm. at the very church where I gave my life to Christ in high school. Wow. Uh, in that very community. And, um, and then from there, I would go actually to uh, uh, just north of downtown Minneapolis to plant Sanctuary Covenant Church in the early 2000s. So, um, and, and I still had family members uh, that that lived there. Um, and so, so yes, uh, that that um, it grieved my heart on a, right. on a number of ways. And but I'm also realizing that um, there's a great opportunity missionally for the church right now in the midst of all this. Right. Certainly. Uh, Ephraim, this is John uh, Price. And uh, speaking of that uh, Christian Today interview that Mark brought up, um, something I, th- I thought was really um, helpful that you um, honed in on in that was talking about uh, Jesus going to Samaria um, and sitting at the well with the with the woman there. And uh, you write, I'll just... Uh, remind you what you said and for our audience you said the son of god goes to samaria and he sits down at the well and he looks up at a marginalized outcast woman who is despised by the religious leaders and asks her for a drink and so if jesus can do this why can't my white brothers and sisters in the evangelical church come and sit at the well of the african-american church the church that was birthed from slavery from oppression and sit at the well and ask for a drink now you expound on that in the in the art in the interview but can you help me and help our audience uh, understand the implications of this in your mind uh, for us? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I, I wish that that, um, that interview uh, that I did would have been that the title of it when it came out would have been called sitting at the well, mm. because the, the title that it, it ended up getting, I think was white evangelicals need to humble themselves or something like that. <laughs> right. so I was like, right. Oh my God. When I, when it came out, I didn't know what the, cause it was an interview right. that I did right. that then became a story uh, on Christianity today's website. So I was, I, when I saw the title, I was like, Oh man, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> you, know, you white evangelicals need to humble yourself. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't mean it to come across like that, yeah. but since it did, the thought was, in some segments of evangelicalism, uh, some of my white brothers and sisters were responding to Black Lives Matter, hmm. were responding to the unfortunate moment and the political polarization surrounding it, 
um, feeling attacked, feeling judged. So if 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 um, systemic racism was brought up, if if um, issues of reform and law enforcement were brought up, uh, some took that as uh, all white people were being accused of something or all police officers were being accused of something or um, if people went on the Black Lives Matter, the organization website, thought that all of Black Lives Matter, uh, the whole movement, let's say, was just all encompassed by Black Lives Matter, the organization. And so what I was trying to say is, hey, before you take offense or before you ignore what's going on, before you write it off, before you give judgments, um, to what African-American Christian leaders are saying, uh, could you, like Jesus did, just come to uh, the African-American church experience, the African-American community, African-American relationships in some meaningful way? And as Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink, ask uh, for a drink. Even the, the parts of the African-American experience that aren't rooted in the African-American church that aren't rooted in scripture, if Jesus could ask the Samaritan woman in all her complexities Mm. to start that relational connection, sitting beneath her, looking up to her and asking for a drink, if the son of God, if if the Messiah can do that, uh, why can't we do that across race and ethnicity in this moment? Mm. That's really good. That's really helpful. That's great. Hey, Efren, this is uh, Mike. It's great to uh, have you on the podcast. I'm excited to meet you in this way. And uh, one of the things I was looking at was your your website, uh, Influential, and really about your consulting, but also your City Beats podcast. And I was listening to one of them this week, and you gave a, a great kind of story about, I think, when you were pastor in Minneapolis, about how you created a meal and had people bring different foods from just from their own ethnic heritage, and you all ate a meal together. And then you said something that was really kind of profound that I listened to this week about how you mentioned about how as we digest this food from different cultures, let's digest each other's dreams and, and visions and also in pain as well across ethnic backgrounds. Can you share a little bit about that story and, and what you learned through that experience? Yeah. You know, um, when you're when you're planting a multi-ethnic church, when you're trying to move your existing church or ministry to be more diverse, to look more like heaven, Hmm. uh, there's an assumption that people can just come in. And as long as you're singing Christian songs and praying together and in the same space, there's just going to be this automatic unity that's going to take place. Hmm. But sometimes without realizing it, what we're really doing is creating a community of assimilation, Mm. saying that whatever the dominant culture, whatever the dominant race uh, of this church, of this ministry is right now, we just want all the new people to assimilate into it. And we assume that it's kind of cultureless and it's just full of Christ. Mm -hmm. But really what's happening is if you go into a predominantly white church, you're experiencing Christ you're experiencing the Holy Spirit, but you're also experiencing white culture. Mm-hmm. If you go into a predominantly black church, you're experiencing Christ. You're experiencing, uh, you know, the word of God, but you're also experiencing black culture. And if we can be honest about that, when when culture dominates 
a Christian community environment, it can make it uh, more difficult than we realize for other ethnicities uh, to find home, to find place. So that dinner was a way of me saying, you know what, because we're a multi-ethnic church, I want to invite you to a meal where you're going to taste some things that maybe were never a part of your table growing up. Yeah. Uh, and so we had sweet potato pie next to the pumpkin pie. <laughs> we had enchiladas next to fried rice, next to collard greens. All right, I'm, uh, and I, I'm there. <laughs> and I just said, just try a little bit of it. Try right. a little bit of it. And then use that as a metaphor to say, in the same way we're willing to digest one another's stories, Yes, we need to digest one another's pain, one another's experiences. And in a moment like this that we find ourselves in, unfortunately, what does it mean to digest and, and, and show empathy for the grieving, the lamenting that a significant portion of the African-American community is, is having in this moment of the deaths of Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, uh, George Floyd and others? That's great. Mm. Now, now, when you when you when you bring that up and you, you talk about how you know you're experiencing the white church, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of people who, in this cultural moment, have said like, why do we have to talk about race so much? Why 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 do we have to talk about this? Or or they say things like, um, or I mean, a lot of white evangelicals. Uh, I think I I, I listened to a, a podcast that you did where a lot of them have been silent okay in the midst of the race discussion um what do you say to people who say do we i mean aren't we just making it worse by talking about race all the time do we really have to do this and then what do you have to say to maybe evangelicals who have just remained silent whether they're pastors parishioners they just they just don't want to talk about this Yes. Well, one, I would say that um, race is a man-made construct. Mm -hmm. the, the race structure, race as, as a way of, of living, as a way of experiencing. Um, it's not biblical. It's not biological. But the ramifications are real. We live in a racialized world. I would contend that race, racism, uh, a racialized reality is one example, one visible example that we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. Mm. So if we would agree that racism, let's just start with that part. Mm -hmm. Racism is a sin. Right. No matter how you define racism, no matter how you point to what you believe racism is, I think we all can agree racism is a sin. So when people say, why do we have to keep talking about race? I say, well, why do we have to keep talking about adultery? Why do we have to keep talking about lying? <laughs> right. Why do we have to keep talking about murder? Why do we have to keep talking about gossip? <laughs> because until <laughs> yeah. Jesus returns and all things are made right and, and sin is totally eradicated and we experience living in a new creation that, that we are no longer in the upside down, but we are in the eternal right side up. We have to not only talk about the various expressions of sin and brokenness, but also uh, missionally apply, bring the kingdom of God to bear mm -hmm. on that brokenness. And so, uh, I, 
you know, I, I think the reason why some people are saying, why do we have to talk about race, but they don't apply that same logic right. to other sins is because for some white people, they feel to talk about race and racism is to potentially implicate myself, mm. to potentially feel shamed, and I don't want that. And my response would be, I don't want that either. I don't. I, I want to find a way to talk about the sinful reality, the brokenness of race and racism, without that leading to all white people feeling indicted, feeling like they're put on trial, feeling guilt-tripped and shamed. Because at the end of the day, I'm not trying to lead anyone towards shame. I want to lead people towards reconciliation, righteousness, and justice. Mm. You know, Efren, I think that that's true. I mean, I think there's a lot of my friends that don't want to feel ashamed. Um, many of my white friends, though, too, they're, they're not racist, but they just don't have a point of reference. They don't understand what it's like to be pulled over as an African-American. Uh, for example, my best friend, one of my best friends who was on our podcast, Ryan, and we were discussing this when, when these issues were arising um, just a couple of, maybe a month ago. And I asked him the question, I'm like, have you ever been pulled over and treated unjustly? And he said, yes. And he named about 20 times. We've been friends for 20 years. He named 20 times. And I was like, why have you never told me this? I remember looking at him, you've never talked about this to me. And we were debating and going back and forth. And I'm like, I've never been pulled over and treated uh, unjustly, ever. Um, and he just said, man, we have com two completely different points of reference on this issue. And I think many of our, my friends that are white, they just, they don't understand. So how could you help us understand um, so we can digest better the African-American experience? Well, I think one, one overarching way to think of it is this way. So there was a time when white people or white Americans, they were treated based on their ethnicity hmm. in American society. Yeah. There was a time where Polish people, Irish people, mm -hmm. German people, Swedish people, Italians mm -hmm. were treated mm -hmm. based on their ethnicity in this country yep. and any stereotypical profiling, um, prejudicial stereotypes that came with their ethnicity. Mm -hmm. So there was a time when people would look at Italian immigrants and say, Italians are like this. Yep, They'd say certainly. Polish people are like this. I can even remember when I was a kid, you don't hear this anymore, but there used to be a time in our country where Polish people were the, like they were the butts of all jokes. <laughs> oh, I remember you that. You would tell a Polish that. joke. Yeah, yeah, I remember like, Polish jokes. Yeah, yeah I, I guess that got retired at some point. But I mean, they would say, <laughs> yeah, hey, our city was Polish segregated. Was that walking way. in a bar and something. Right. And, yeah. and so there was, but what happened is over time, these European immigrant groups became American hmm. or they became white mm -hmm. americans they became mainstream they they were no longer the italians and the polish and the germans and the norwegians and the danish they became one collective dominant group that was the picture of 
what it means to be American for the most part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, African-Americans never, like when the, whenever there was a line and all those ethnic groups were getting their white card, like black people didn't get the card. Like right. we got in line too and we we're like, hey, oh, we don't get that card. <laughs> and so black people have continued in many ways to be seen as the other. Yeah. The the outside the dominant group. Uh, we didn't now there, now I'm sure there are some African Americans that would say, No, we we've seen many African Americans assimilate into American culture and benefit from it. And I'm saying, well, I'm not talking about that kind of assimilation. Yes, after you can find African Americans in Ivy League schools. Man, we found an African American in the White House at the highest level mm-hmm. of leadership. Not that long ago, there are African American billionaires. But just to let you know, African American billionaires, African American politicians, African American celebrities, African American Ivy League students get pulled over by the police just for being black. Hmm. Successful black people get the police called on them by white people that don't think black people should be in those spaces. I mean, you probably heard of these stories of, you know, an African-American young lady at an Ivy League school falling asleep in the study hall in her dorm and a white student sees her in there and calls the police and says, somebody's in our dorm that I don't think is supposed to be here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, just by skin color, physical features, uh, black people have still had the experience of being the other, the lesser than, the the not having the ability to um, collectively uh, be deemed the dominant. And so that's why there's such a different experience for African-Americans than white Americans in this country. It's why uh, white Christians and black Christians in a general sense, I know I'm cartooning it, there, there's ways in which we read the Bible differently. Mm-hmm. In, in white evangelicalism, we, we read the Bible from an individual standpoint. Me and God, me and other people, do I tithe? Am I committed to my church? Do I pray? Do I read the Bible? Am I in a small group? Am I growing in Christ? Mm. Am, am I struggling so that, that's an individualistic way of reading the scripture where African-Americans historically have read the scripture in terms of we identify with the enslaved Hebrews in Exodus. Hmm. We identify with first century Christians that are thrown in prison because the laws governing uh, how to treat people that express uh, faith differently uh, than the Roman Empire or differently than uh, the Sanhedrin. They are, that is illegal and they are thrown in jail and they are beaten. Uh, we we read the Bible from in that collective narrative of what it means to be the disinherited, the marginalized, mm-hmm. not simply reading it as the individual. That's great. Uh, Ephraim, yeah. uh, I was reading something that you wrote, um, and I love this. I love this quote. I want, I, want, I want to ask you to expound on this a little bit. You you wrote these words: "When the gospel of Jesus Christ is reduced to individualism, like you were just talking about, 
or a narrow form of pietism, it removes the deep connection between the gospel and the kingdom of God. It also works to dismantle the biblical alignment between righteousness and justice. In short, a gospel without justice is not the gospel. And so you wrote those words, and I think uh, I think there are a certain segment of Christianity when they hear that word justice, they start getting a little funky. They start talking about social justice and all these things. So help us, you know, get a picture of what does the gospel look like? Maybe even where the church is either missing it or getting it right, right in this cultural moment when we're talking about things like justice. Sure. So I, I would contend that righteousness and justice are from the same root word. They are intertwined because righteousness is God's solution to sin in the soul, and justice is God's solution to sin in systems, structures, and uh, uh, ideologies, mm, institutions. I love it. And so, because you could say, okay, well, one, one way in which sin uh, infects, invades, is it invades Cain's soul in such a way that Cain kills his brother Abel. Mm -hmm. But we also see sin leading to a collective group of people building a tower, the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. We see sin collectively, systemically in the slave system of Egypt, uh, in the systems of Assyria, the empires of Babylon, the Roman Empire. And so... Um, the reason why um, just individual pietism reduces the gospel is because when Jesus proclaims in Luke chapter 4, I've come to set the captives free, to proclaim the good news to the poor, to give sight to the blind. Um, it, and, 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 as, and as we look at even what leads Jesus to the cross— Ultimately, Jesus goes to the cross because it's a part of God's sovereign plan for redemption. Mm -hmm. But because both souls and systems are sinful, we can see how individuals and systems play a role in the crucifixion of Jesus. Right. And those systems have not been fully redeemed, mm. transformed. And so that's why um, now what's definitely a good fair discussion is what's the difference between biblical justice and um, let's just for lack of a term yeah. of worldly versions of justice. <laughs> right. We'll just put it that way, you know, and I would say, well, biblical justice is not just about um, restoration, repairing what sin has broken so on one hand, justice is uh, is what needs to be repaired amongst the most vulnerable of those among us because systemic sin has caused a chasm, a gap that has created the haves and the have-nots, the blessed and the broken, the equal and the oppressed. Now, does that, am I preaching socialism? No, I'm not saying everybody is going to be at the same economic class. I mean, 
look, I I actually love living in a country where you can take an idea, turn it into a product, mm-hmm. turn that into a business, and participate in the free market enterprise. Yep. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I have I have multiple streams of income. I I'm a pastor of a church and I own a company. Yeah. That's the American way. And you wrote <laughs> some books, man. You wrote some books, some great books. So, so that is the American way. Yep. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that that. What God is showing us is in a sinful world, when when sin is in the soul and, and there's a, a group of people that are benefiting from the system and others that aren't, there's a call for justice. Because in, in the court system, if wealthy people can afford lawyers and they can afford the best lawyers, they're going to have a totally different experience in the justice system than someone who's poor, mm-hmm. which is why God says, you know, judges shouldn't show favoritism and, you know, rich people shouldn't try to bribe a judge. Rich people shouldn't try to get an advantage yep. mm-hmm. in the economic and justice systems of the world. So when wealthy people are using their wealth, not for generosity, compassion, transformation, empowerment of others, but for their own advantage in every system. So I'm going to use my wealth and power to get an advantage in the economic system. I'm going to use my power and wealth to get an advantage in the justice system, in in the marketplace, uh, in in politics. Well, you know, if you have to raise a billion dollars to be president of the United States, well, (laughs) that's going to keep a lot of people from being able to run for president of the United yep, States. Sure. Yeah, I'm not making it. If you have to raise millions of dollars. And so anyway, I don't, I don't want to di- digress too much, but no. I'm just trying to paint a picture of biblical justice is restoration. It's repairing, but it's also giving glory to God and advancing God's kingdom. Yeah. So when you take God, when you take the kingdom of God coming now as it is in heaven when you take that out of the equation you have forms of justice that can become antithetical to, to jesus yeah to, to biblical justice and i think you know from i think this is where a lot of people are struggling because when we start throwing that those words around justice worldly justice social justice, whatever you want to call it i think people haven't put in the work to really understand what those things are and so they just either throw it out or just wholeheartedly embrace some version that's not a kingdom version. And I think there's just a lot of people right now. I mean, you you can't you can't afford at this period of time, I think, as a Christian to just not be educated and not to know what some of the real issues are and really understand the terms. Right. Yes. And, and that's that's why it, there's there's well, there's there's three quick things here. One is the church must biblically reclaim justice. Mm. Uh, One of the differences between the civil rights movement and the Black Lives Matter movement today is the civil rights movement, it was significantly rooted in the African-American church. Mm -hmm. And so, um, matter of fact, pastors and Christian lay people from the African-American church where the frontline voices, strategists, uh, architects, yes. uh, they, they were at the forefront of the movement um, because um, 
segments of the African-American church did not stay on the forefront. I'm not, I'm not saying all, because there's a number of African-American churches, African-American pastors that are prophetic, apostolic, reconciling, justice-oriented voices uh, from the black church. But in, in, a, in a number of ways, uh, there's a segment of the African-American church that because we weren't as missional to the hip-hop movement as we could have been, today I would argue that Mm. Hip-hop activism, hip-hop politics, hip-hop culture mm. may have a greater influence in the shaping and leading of the Black Lives Matter movement mm. than the church does. Um, in, e in evangelicalism, I think there's been a very narrow limiting of what uh, social, uh, biblically informed activism looks like. It's been reduced to, we're going to talk about... Um, the value, the sanctity of life in the womb. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to talk about uh, family systems. Uh, we're going to talk about religious freedom. But um, having a, a, a deeper biblical understanding around r systemic racism, uh, around uh, disparities by race, class, and place, that, again, I, I think that we need to reclaim uh, biblical justice, preach, teach, equip, and release people out of the church missionally to be um, justice-oriented disciple-makers. And then I think the, the other uh, piece of it is, is just, uh, again, I think there's an opportunity uh, if we reclaim biblical justice to, to not throw all expressions of justice out of the window as if this isn't connected to the gospel. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, th I, th yeah, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but um, one thing that I've heard that we as Christians you know, forget is that the biblical idea of justice has both the negative and the positive aspects of it. The negative meaning that, uh, you know, that there's a justice that punishes evil. Like legalism almost? Yeah, the pun the, there's a justice in Scripture that punishes evil, punitive. right? Punitive, punitive justice, punishes. right. But there's also yes. the positive side of justice, which is this aspect of rest restoration, of restoring what has been broken, right? And both of those are uh, equally biblical, and we can't separate that conversation. We can't say as Christians that, well, I'm more for this side of justice than I am for that side I of like justice. I like the warm and fuzzy hugs. Restore me. Right. Or, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of quote, conservatives will say, well, you know, punitive justice, you know, evil yep. needs to be, you know, You're condemned, <laughs> condemned and we need discipline, to, right. And discipline. Right. And we forget the other side of the yep. restorative side. Um, so uh, one question, I don't know that um, I know this kind of maybe gets off our talk about justice a little bit, but I really wanted to hear your thoughts on, uh, the multi-ethnic church. I know some minorities, especially African-Americans, uh, kind of giving up on it. Um, you know, you just kind of see, you know, uh, you know, some prominent folks um, who have kind of, who had been working in that direction have said, you know, I've kind of given up, I'm leaving, I'm going back to the uh, black church or to, you know, uh, different minority churches. Um, in your mind, what needs to happen for the church to display the glory of the gospel and our gathered worship and community? Uh, or is it like they're yes, saying, kind yes. of like, it's time to give up? <laughs> we just got. Well, I, I think there's a lot we can learn from the challenges 
of the first century church in trying to be a community for both mm. the multicultural expressions of Jewish followers of Christ mm-hmm. and to um, bridge the gap between Jewish and Gentile followers of Christ. So in the book of Acts, we can read, uh, I believe it's either in chapter 9 or uh, <clears throat> sorry, because I don't have my Bible in front of me. I'm supposed to have the whole thing memorized. Uh, come on, Ephraim. Jeez. Um, but I know somewhere in the book of Acts, <laughs> somewhere we read the story where um, the the Hellenistic Jews yep. and the Hebraic Jews are having a conflict because when they are distributing food, the Hellenistic Jewish mm-hmm. widows are being overlooked. Right. Acts sure. 6. Acts yeah. chapter 6. And, and yeah. so... Um, so there are moments when there were conflicts that had to be resolved between different cultural expressions of being Jewish followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. But then there were uh, there were some conflicts such as do the do the Gentile uh, male Christ followers need to be circumcised? Mm-hmm. Do they need to eat the way we eat? Uh, so the, do they need to abstain from certain foods? Do right. they mm-hmm. and so. Um, so there had to be some some meetings to say, you know what? There's part of what we see as essential to being godly that actually are some cultural things mm-hmm. right. that we're trying to force people to assimilate into. And so th- what we have to have humble, prayerful, loving conversation about, let's say in the predominantly white churches that want to be multi-ethnic, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to have a conversation about things in the DNA of your church that aren't really about the essentials of what it means to be Christian, but it's more cultural things, racialized things mm. about what it means to be white. And you don't even realize that it's whiteness because whiteness is basically it's not even called like white people that go to church don't say i go to a white church right. but if they go yeah. visit a black church they'll let you know yeah. i went to this black church yeah. <laughs> right or so, if they go to a hispanic church they won't yeah. they'll say i went to a hispanic but when they go back to their church they just go church. i went back to church church to, to, to my church right and and let me tell you about my church mm-hmm. and so um and so I just think that we have to be honest that we have to be able to talk about whiteness without being it being offensive to white people, or at least talk about that there are real non-essential cultural uh, elements in the church. And that's why there are African-Americans that are going, if I go to this church and more and more unarmed black people are dying at the hands of police, and my pastor won't talk about it because he doesn't want to offend white people that may feel like they're being uh, somehow attacked. Uh, you know, if we can't talk about things in our nation that need to be reformed and changed, because if you criticize America, you're criticizing me and mm-hmm. you're anti-America. That's why African-Americans and other people of color are leaving predominantly white multi-ethnic congregations. Yeah. So so predominantly white multi-ethnic congregations have to admit that whiteness on some level does exist. The other part is, you know what? It could be 
that the best expressions of multi-ethnic churches need to be led by people of color Mm -hmm. so that white people that already live in a world where they're the dominant culture actually are willing to go into multi-ethnic churches led by people of color Mm -hmm. where they have to uh, be willing to give up being dominant in that space. Yeah. Yeah. I think I read something that you or heard something, you were a part of a discussion where it's uh, you guys were talking about this and you said when, when white people get uncomfortable, they just leave. Right. That was, that was part of the conversation that I was listening to. Like when white people get uncomfortable, they can just leave. Right. Yeah. Because they can just, they can just leave and go find a church where they're the dominant group again. Right. Or, and they can go into society where they're the dominant group because white people have more options. Yeah. Like when we, when I talk about white privilege, I'm not saying white privilege doesn't mean all white people are successful. Right. It, what white privilege is not about how blessed you are. It's about burdens you don't have to carry. Yeah. Oh, right. that's good. Mm. Hey, Ephraim, I know you got to go. I know you got to go. Thank you for the time you spend for, with us. Hey, one, could you leave us with one good word? One good word of like what you're hopeful about, what you're hopeful about in this cultural moment, what you're praying for, what you maybe some opportunities that you really see uh, happening in our culture. You know, I, I want to give a little uh, shout out to Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil mm. in her book Roadmap to Reconciliation. She talks about two opportunities when we're in a catalytic moment. And we are in a multi-level catalytic moment right now, (laughs) a racial pandemic, uh, 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 a a virus-based pandemic, a polarizing presidential uh, campaign, uh, man, Mm. a lot. Uh, And so there's there's an opportunity to choose one of two roads. Uh, She says one road we can choose is the road of preservation. But that road could just lead either to individual or group isolation. Hmm. If I if I if I look at this situation we're in and all I'm thinking about is how to preserve what I already believe, hmm. then I'm going to I could end up just individually isolated or I'm just going to be isolated among the people that vote like me, believe what I believe. Yeah. But there's also an opportunity, Brenda Salter McNeil talks about, of transformation. And if we choose the road of transformation, that road leads to um, to, to reconciliation, hmm. to, 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 to really experiencing now the beloved community that is a sneak preview of the kingdom of God. So my hope is, I, what I, where I'm hopeful is I feel like we're not where we need to be. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, especially amongst the emerging generations, I'm seeing more and more evangelicals. I'm seeing more and more people in the body of Christ deciding to choose the road of transformation over preservation. Mm. Awesome. Well, my friend, thank Good you word. so much. Thank you for your time. And uh, hey, man, I know you're missing Marvel like I am. You're missing the movies, right? You're, you have a withdrawal? Oh, yeah, you man. Withdrawal? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, Black Widow origin story was supposed <laughs> to come out this year. Um, 
you know, I'm, we're still waiting for some series on Disney Plus. And so I, I, but I heard maybe later in October, going into November and December, yep. we're going to get uh, some some new Marvel stuff. I know that. So anyway, I, I know that next year I'm just believing that um, <laughs> God, God and God's sovereignty will open the window of Marvel Universe blessings upon us again. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just believing that. So Ephraim, from one comic nerd to another, Wakanda forever, my brother. And uh, we miss we miss the Black Panther, huh? Very sad. Mm. Very sad. Oh, my gosh. That was yes. that was devastating. Uh, so, hey, man, thank you so much. Thanks for taking your time out to be a part of this and and to bless us, man. You so many yeah, good thank things. You, thank you, man. So appreciative. Oh, man. Appreciative, man. Bring me back on again, and we'll do a whole we'll do a whole episode just on uh, uh, you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe and missiology. Ooh, ooh, that's a deal. Yeah, we got you. We've been very blessed by you today, so thank you so much. Blessings, guys. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back here on Post Christian Pastors. Well, we're back. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. Man, it's good. I, I feel refreshed. I feel uh, hopeful. Um, I feel. Uh, enlightened i feel educated a lot mm-hmm. more than i was an hour ago and i uh, just appreciated uh ephraim's heart yeah john any thoughts what would you think man i mean that guy can preach that's all i gotta say <laughs> he's uh listen to him uh just yeah as you know off, off air mike was you know just wisdom just yeah. his the wisdom he gives i thought it was really helpful the way he kind of helped us think about like kind of what America is, how we've got to where we are. Like, as he was just even talking about how, you know, many of us have different ethnic backgrounds that, and we kind of forget about kind of the animosity that many of our ancestors felt. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, just a couple of years ago, I found out, you know, my, my grandfather is an immigrant from, from, um, from Italy, um, came when he was three years old. And I found out just a couple of years ago that, you know, he had a cross burned in his front yard by the KKK, hmm. you know, uh, and he was and, Italian because he was Italian. I didn't even know they did that. Yeah. Against uh, abs- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I mean, um, you know, when I found that out, it, it, it kind of reframed things a little bit for me. It was like, you know, that was his experience, yeah. but I never had that experience because by the time, even within just yeah. one generation Change. and within one generation, you know, my family had assimilated yeah. into white America. Yeah. And it, you know, and, you know, maybe their last, maybe if somebody heard their last name, you know, maybe they'd be like, oh, you know, make some derogatory pay. But just walking down the street, they were. Because Price is a very Italian name. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Italian. Yeah. Montini was, yeah. Uh, so, no, yeah, Mont- yeah. You know, I think that, just to jump off that, I, I'm hopeful. It makes me hopeful. When you think even about our own city, I mean, our city was, you know, divided so much around ethnic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. There's Polish Hill, yes. Little Italy. Yeah. There's We're a perfect picture. You, we're yeah, a perfect picture where literally our, the construct of how the city was put together was around <laughs> racial, eth- yeah, right. ethnicity. Um, that is like, it's, 
it's literally kind of like deconstructed in a lot of ways. It's preserved in food, in celebration of heritage. Mm-hmm. And I'm hopeful that, man, maybe two generations, a generation, or maybe even fast, maybe in our generation, we can see this happen between the African-American and white divide. Mm-hmm. Could we could we get to a point where we just see each other as friends? Um and so I hope I'm hopeful. That gives me a sense of hope that maybe we can continue to grow in this. And we have to remember that was not even a hundred years ago that we're yes. talking about. <laughs> I mean, right? We're not even. I mean, well, I remember the Polish jokes. Right, that but, was a big deal when. Yeah, I was but a kid. I mean, I'm, I mean, my, you know, my grandfather had a, a cross burn in his front right. yard less than a hundred years ago. That's serious. Yeah. In Aliquippa, like that's the you know that's the that, that's the world that we live in, and we have to remember that. You know, we like to think that we are so far removed from some of those things, right? We we like to think, oh, you know, civil rights era, we're so far removed from that. You know, I mean, there are people who still remember and experienced all that hurt and you know, and what was what went on yep. in that racial divide. It's not like it's not just like it magically disappears, right? And I think Ryan what said last week, which I thought was really helpful, you know, that idea of we are either one generation away <laughs> Yep. From, you know, from basically saying that we no longer have a, quote, race problem or it elevating to the point where. It, and I love it, how Ephraim yeah. said that race is yeah. a, I mean, that's a it's sinful a, construct. Right. That yeah. is not something that God created. Right. That's something that we created to identify differences right. rather than uh, similarities. So yep. that's great. Well, it sounds like a good place to jump off, uh, yep. guys. Hey, by the way, um, if you want to. Check out Ephraim Smith. Look him up online. You'll find him all over the place. Look on Amazon. Buy some of the books that he's he's written. And then uh, he's also leading uh, a group for World Vision of pastors. I believe they're going uh, to walking together through racial justice issues for the next year. Mm-hmm. You, I don't know if it's too late to get into that. You can check that out. I think it's for pastors. But, but um, yeah, just Ephraim's a great voice. Check him out. on You'll find him on YouTube different places he uh he's one of those very balanced i think kingdom-minded uh beautiful voices into uh what is happening in this cultural moment all right guys time to go time to be out of here uh thanks for joining us on post-christian pastors you can find us on all the the platforms where there's podcasts we are also now on spotify guys so you can Ooh. find us on spotify we're big t- according to my kids now that means we're big time oh is it yeah yeah, yeah. so we're just yeah. gonna open a whole new world we're big with the tweens the team no, my, my, no, no. <laughs> it's funny because one of my kids. sons was asking me about about the podcast and you know i was telling him he goes are you on spotify or i'm like i don't think so he goes then you haven't made it yet uh, <laughs> so we've made it just now we can listen now tell them to listen we've officially made it hey we have some great guests coming up so make sure you you subscribe to us and follow and just you'll find out whenever a new episode comes out so guys that's it we're out thanks, thanks see you later Bye. peace